turn to Isaiah chapter 9. This is my favorite part of the morning. If you will remain standing uh, and turn to your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 for the hearing of God's word. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May we be blessed by the hearing of God's word. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and that what all that you've taught us over the last three weeks. I pray, God, as we come to the conclusion of this passage, God, that you would continue to stir uh, our affections for you, our hearts for you. Allow none of us to come in the same way that we came in this morning, that we would leave transformed by the hearing and teaching of the gospel today. We pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. I hope for you that this passage of Scripture uh, over the last three weeks, as we conclude today, has been as much as an encouragement to you as it has been for me, just studying this passage over the last month. Um, all that this seven verses have to offer to us about this thing that we've been coming each week to celebrate the advent of Christ, the coming of a king is what the title is this morning, that we would come with this anticipation this morning, not just for what was to happen, but what is going to happen, that we are still in that same anticipation that the Israelites were in some seven, almost 700 years ago. If you've been with us and you have a chance, if you haven't been with us, go online and listen to the messages. But where we're at in the history of Israel is that Israel has been invaded by a northern kingdom and they are in this, displaced all over the world and what they are waiting for a king to come and ransom them and win them back uh, to himself. And so here's Israel, they are in utter chaos and totally discouraged and there's this thing on their heart, this anticipation that it doesn't always have to be this way. Maybe that's where you're at this morning, and I, as we'll get into the passage, I believe that all of us would see that. Um, just a few weeks ago, uh, the, the, the uh, New York Times, the New York Post had front cover, prayer isn't going to change this. And the article is a, is a bash towards the Christian, but even the secular writer who wrote the article knows something's going on, that it doesn't have to be this way. It was right after the terrorist attack, then... California 
And so in all of us, there's this anticipation, this angst, that we live in a fallen, broken world, and even for unbelievers, and even more for us as believers, we know that this isn't the way God intended it to be. We can turn to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and see, and then in Revelations 19 and 20, the way that God intends it to be. He did not ever intend it to be fallen and broken and destroyed and in utter chaos. That was not the intent of God. We see, and we've seen through this passage, that God has had a plan in mind to send us a Savior to redeem it all back to Himself. And so that's the anticipation that the Israelites have in this moment, but for us as the believer, we still have that anticipation that it doesn't have to be this way, that God is going to return through Jesus Christ and redeem it all to Himself. And so this morning, we will look at uh, the advent, the coming of a king. Are we here this morning to celebrate on uh, Thursday and Friday presence or the presence of the Lord? What are we going to celebrate that morning? Is it just a time to gather as family and have great food, uh, lemon cakes, hint, hint. Uh, if you would like to bring me one, I wouldn't mind eating one Christmas morning. Uh, but are we going to come, uh, that would be a great Christmas present, are we going to come that morning and wake up more anticipating what's under the tree or are we going to anticipate what God has to offer us through his son Jesus Christ that's what we celebrate Christmas for I believe we've hijacked Christmas to make it something it was never meant to be are we celebrating the birth of a savior or are we celebrating presence you see over the last three weeks if you haven't been with us we believe this to be true because of the advent of Christ. Christ is the light that shines in our darkest places and offers us hope. Uh, we saw that in verses 1 and 2. The second week we saw that Christ, the advent of Christ, is our joy through salvation. Though our circumstances may not change externally, because of our salvation, our eternity has changed and therefore we have joy to celebrate. Last week we looked at Christ being our victory. And because he's won the victory, we are able to live in constant freedom from all things, including sin itself. And this morning we will look at the advent, the coming of a king. I love this passage of scripture. This is where the, John just read it. I'll read it again. It's chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us, that's you and I, for us, a child is born, a son is given. Uh, the government shall not be the government shall be upon his shoulder. That, that, that word government isn't the idea that we have, the government that we live in. What that word means is that the reign and the supremacy of all things, he governs all things. And that is what is laid on God's son's shoulders. That he is sovereign in control of all things. That even in this moment, we have a sovereign God and nothing catches him by surprise. God has never been caught by surprise because the government, his sovereignty is still in control, even though it may not look like that this morning. And so he's telling us in this passage, there's a king that's going to come and he's going to restore the government. He's going to restore the chaos. will be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That ought to make all of us say amen. With, let me read that one more time. Of the increase of his government, his, his reign, his sovereignty, 
that will never come to an end. The peace of God will always be, is what he's saying. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with what? Justice and with righteousness. And for all this, for all time, forever and ever, the zeal of the Lord will do this. We talked about the zeal of the Lord the first week. That's the passion of the Lord. The passion of the Lord is going to establish his kingdom because he sees what we do not see. He sees that we're a fallen and lost and broken people that need a savior, that need a king to reign of all time. This is what Jesus says about himself. You can turn over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. In your book, in your Bible, it may say over the, that verse, verse 12, uh, Jesus starts his ministry or the ministry of Jesus begins. And this is what happens. It says this. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John, the, John, that's John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum by the sea and in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. That's, that is a promise of God that has been fulfilled in this moment. Please catch that. That some 700 years before we just read it, John read it to us, that there was going to be a savior, a king that was going to come out of this land, and now Jesus is coming out of the land. Here in verse 12 and 13. So that it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Natali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwell in darkness, have seen a great light. That's Jesus. Those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, and on them a light was dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, in that moment, he begins his ministry by attaching himself back to Isaiah chapter 9, back to saying he is the king that's come to rule, and now he's saying here in this passage of Matthew chapter 4, 17, I'm coming to reign in my kingdom. And so this morning, we now have a king that is coming to reign in his kingdom. Amen. He's coming to reestablish his kingdom. And the only way to reestablish his kingdom will be through our repentance, is what he says. And so for us this morning, we come to look at the advent, the coming of our king. It is only by the King Jesus that we will ever have what we talked about the last three weeks. It's only by King Jesus that we'll have hope. It's only through King Jesus that we'll have joy because of our salvation. And it's only because of a King Jesus, he's already won the victory. The victory has been won this morning, not because of you and not because of me, but because of King Jesus. And I love this passage. He tells us, and we'll look at four different things that describe the king this morning. It's found here in this passage. A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. You know, there's two, over 250 different descriptions of King Jesus in the Old Testament. Many scholars say this, that these four descriptions of King Jesus encapsulate all 250. And we're going to walk through each one of those. Here's what John Calvin, the great theologian, says about this passage. I love this quote. It's fairly long, so stick with me. It says, Whenever in sword, it appears to us that everything is in ruinous condition. That's what it appears today. Let us recall to our remembrance that Christ is called wonderful. Even today, Christ is wonderful. Why? Because He has 
inconceivable methods of assisting us. And because of His power is far beyond what we're able to conceive. When we need counsel, let us remember that He is the counselor. When we need strength, let us remember that He is mighty and He is strong. When new uh, terrors spring up suddenly every instant, and when many deaths threaten us from various quarters, let us rely on the eternity which He is with good reason called Father. We'll look at what that word means in a moment. And by the same comfort, let us learn to soothe all of our temporal distresses. When we are inwardly tossed by the various tempests, and when Satan attempts to disturb our consciousness, let us remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace. And that is easy for, that is easy for Him to quickly to ally all of our uneasy feelings. This will be these titles confirmed us more and more in the faith of Christ and fortify us against Satan and against hell itself. We must come to believe that we have a king who is the wonderful counselor. We must come to believe this morning that we have a king that's the mighty God. We must come to believe this morning that we have an everlasting father and we must believe that there's a king that will reign in peace and offers us peace this morning. Let's look at the very first title that he says about himself a wonderful counselor you can circle the word wonderful in the bible that that word is never used for humans outside of it's only used for god himself if you think of all the things the wonderful things that have happened it's a wonderful thing that christ was born to a virgin it's a wonderful thing that christ walked a sinless life for you and to, for me. It's a wonderful thing that he went to the cross. It's a wonderful thing that he died. It's a wonderful thing that he rose on the third day. You see, the wonders of God are, are all around us. Do we believe that and do we see that this morning? So he's a wonderful, a wonderful counselor. So he must be all in control and in, in being all in control and being wonderful, the next word that's attached to him is counselor. This just simply means to give counsel or to be wise. It's the wise one. You know, as a counselor myself, I, I often have this great fear that men and women will come to me week in and week out for counsel. And I've had a training in that, and I have a degree in that, and I have education in that, and I have experience in that. And yet I, I often wonder, are people coming to me for counseling? Like, am I the solution to their problem? Oh, pastor, oh, Todd the counselor, offer me great wisdom for my marriage, offer me great wisdom for my life, offer me great wisdom. And I really have nothing to offer other than Christ and Christ alone. You see, at the end of the day, I don't have much to offer. And if you're coming to me, my first question to me were, Todd, have you been in God's word today? And have you been in, on, on your face before God for me today? Because in and of myself, I got nothing for you. You thought you had a busted up marriage before, come see me. Without me being in the presence of God, I will ruin your marriage. You see, my great fear is this. That going to other people, rather than going to God, is the easy way out. You, you and I can go to all these external places. Just go to Barnes & Noble this afternoon. There's more self-help books in Barnes and Noble than any other section of Barnes and Noble. How come? Because the world is trumping on us that it knows that we're always going to look for something to satisfy what's going on internal. 
It always, the world always knows that we'll turn to external things to bring, bring comfort to ourselves, even a book. Someone sent me this uh, text this week. Hey, turn on Dr. Phil, and I was about puked in my stomach. I, I, I can't stand that man. And I can't stand the woman that put him in fame, Oprah. I'll just say names. I might get in trouble. I don't care. But these two people have made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of our problems. There's another guy in Texas. I can't stand him either. His name's Joel Houston. If you like him, sorry. I don't like him at all. He's making millions off of you. He wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Really? Like, no. You see, these people know that we're going to always turn to external things, and yet do we believe what God's word says here, that we have a king who is the wonderful counselor. Do we believe that this morning? Here's what Paul has to say about God and God's wisdom in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unsearchable is his counsel. How unsearchable are his ways. For who has ever known the mind of the Lord? And who has ever been his counselor? You see, God never needed to lay on a couch and out ask for help. And God, God never needed to go see my man Freud. He never needed to go up there and lay on a couch and ask him, hey, hey Freud, I need some help because this is it's too much for me. Nothing has ever been too much for God. Your problems are not too much for God. Here's what the great theologian Charles Spurgeon says. You see, because God knows, and the flip side of that is Satan knows. Satan knows we're always going to go to outside counsel. How does he know that? Go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, the wicked counselor, not the wonderful counselor, came into the presence of mankind and offered them counsel. Remember what his counsel was. Hey, did God really say that? Did God really say that to you? You see, that was the counsel of the enemy. And they believed the counsel of the enemy because it tapped into what we're going to look at the very last one. The Prince of Peace and the Everlasting Father. You see, Satan knows where to attack us. And so he's attacking the mankind. He's going to continue to attack mankind in our counsel and in our wisdom because he knows we'll always get the cheap thing. We'll always get the flashy thing. He knows that we will not be patient enough for the Lord, for the Lord's counsel. Because quite often the Lord's counsel doesn't come in our timing. It's not Burger King, your, your way right away. Which isn't a burger at all, really. Sorry, that's a side note. Here's what Spurgeon has to say about the counsel of God and the counsel of Satan. It was by the counselor that this world was ruined. Let me read that again. It was by the counselor, the wicked counselor, that this world was ruined. Did not Satan mask himself as a serpent and counsel the woman with, with exceeding craftiness that she should take upon herself the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and in hope that therefore she would be as gods? That's what the temptation was. That's what the counsel was. Hey, eat this and you'll be God. Was it not that the evil counsel that provoked our mother to rebel against her maker? And did it not as the effort, effect of sin 
bring death into this world with all of its trains of woes. Oh, beloved, it was necessary that the world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to destroy it. You see, God knows that we need a great counselor because there is always a counselor that's going to attack us. We need a wonderful counselor, not a crafty counselor. And so God is saying here in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, oh, you have a wonderful counselor. And so my question to you, I beg you to ask this and find the answer to this, is what is going on in you and around you and in your life right now that you need a wonderful counselor? If there's something going on, God is saying in this passage, I've got the counsel that you need. I, I ought not to have a job as a counselor, especially for believers, because you have the great counselor. You, you see, you ought never need to come see me as a counselor, as a pastor, first and foremost. Take it to God and God alone first. One of my dear friends is a pastor and a counselor in Florida and he said this that he was on staff at a church and their staff uh, and their church began to grow and uh, the the chaos of church began to overwhelm people and the the stories began to flood in uh, the senior pastor began to notice that all of his pastors were in meetings counseling meetings day in and day out day in and day out he said yeah that's a great part of our job is to be counselors but there's a lot more to, to pastoral ministry that we must do. And so he said, I want you to, for this next season, to anyone that comes to make an appointment with you, take the appointment, and I want you to walk them down to the altar and s- tell them to stay there for 30 minutes and seek God's counsel before they ever come seek your counsel. He said, what happened was over the next few months that they stopped seeing people come for counseling. He said, now, one or two things came. They, they decided that God had the answer or that they needed a quicker fix. You see, do we believe that we have a wonderful counselor? You see, whatever going on in your life, it's not too much and too big for God. Let's go to the next thing. I believe it flows right out of this one. We have a wonderful counselor, but just attached to that is a mighty God. You see, not only does God give us wisdom, but God is a mighty God to fulfill his plan for you. You see, if it, all it was was just wisdom that God had for us and that God did not have the might to fulfill his wisdom, th- then there would be no need for him. And so what God is saying, yes, I am the wonderful counselor, but I'm also the mighty God that brings my plans, my counsel for you to fr- fruition, that you do not have to do it on your own. I will do it. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, for I know the plans that what I have for you. I know the counsel that I have for you. You want to know your best life now, read Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. He said, I know the plans, I know the counsel I have for you, declares the Lord. The plan for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, that, that word mighty comes from the Hebrew word, which simply means warrior. That we have a warrior king. A mighty warrior king. And here's the deal, that this king, we talked about it last week, is not still in the fight. The victory has already been won because of our warrior king. And do we live in that? Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, then him being a wonderful counselor will give us what we'll talk about in a few moments, great peace. But do we believe that God is mighty 
and mighty to save. You see, if God himself has the power to save us from sin and the power to deliver us from hell, then he must have the power to deliver us from whatever is going on in us right now. But have we just made it about playing Monopoly with God? What I mean by that is, is all that your salvation is, is a free get-out-of-hell card. You went around the board and you landed on chance and you pulled that card off of the Monopoly board and said, free get-out-of-hell and you saved it for later? That's what I did when I played Monopoly. I, I hit it. So my, my peers and my siblings didn't know I had to get out of hell free card or do I live in the freedom that I have in Christ Jesus because I have a mighty warrior who has delivered me from hell who has delivered me from sin therefore whatever's going on with my life right now pairs in comparison to those two things like wherever I am in life right now whatever's going on in my life I have a wonderful counsel to give me the counsel to bring me into victory and I don't have to be the one that's victorious because they're already one that is victorious therefore I am victorious do we believe these words about Christ our king to be true that he's the wonderful counselor and he's a mighty God he is a warrior king he's not a just a decorated king he is a warrior king I loved a few months ago listening to Brother Bruce talk about uh, uh, General Patton. You know, General Patton got out on the front lines with his people, and therefore the people, the soldiers, could rally around the king, General Patton, and go into war. Because why? They had a warrior king leading them. The same, if more so, is true for us as believers. We have a warrior king that's out in front that's already won the victory for us. Amen? And so the question I pose to you is this. What's going on in your life right now that you need a mighty king for? That you need a mighty God for? The next thing he says about himself is this. That we have an everlasting father. The word everlasting means eternal, forever, without end. That this father never ends. The word father in, in the Hebrew means protector, provider, creator. I, I love that. That we have a protector, father, creator that never ends. You know, I have great shame to say this. That my father was not a great example of what this was. I did not have a great father, protector, creator. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. And so these emotions evoke in you when you hear that God is Father. You're like, oh, man, you had me at Counselor. You had me at Mighty God. But oh, now you're Father? Ah, I don't know. No, God has given us fathers so that we would ultimately see him as the greatest father, an everlasting father. You know what this word means is he's now getting more personal with us as we go into these descriptions that God the Father that we are sons of God, we are daughters of God, we are in relationship with God, that God, what, loves us. So he's a great counselor and he's a great warrior because of his love for us. Do we believe that to be true this morning? Do we believe in the love of God for us? You see, he reveals his love as the Father to us. It's the perfect picture of what fathers are meant to be. He is the perfect father. 
Jesus himself. Luke chapter 11, verses uh, 11 and 12 say this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, the, give instead of fish, give him a serpent? Or ask for an egg, gives him a scorpion? You see, what happens is, in this passage, God knows what's best for us. The same way back in the Garden of Eden, in, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, that, that God knew what was best for God's people when he placed them in the garden. He said to Adam and Eve, all this is yours. Everything in this garden is yours. Just don't take from this tree. Everything else is yours. And what happened? The great serpent, crafty one, came in. And what did he do? He attacked the people of God based on God's love for them. Right? Remember what he said. Did God really say that? Does God really love you? Because if God had really loved you, he'd say everything is yours. So God must not love you because God's withholding from you. From you. That's the conversation that happened in the garden. You see, Satan will always attack us when it comes to us believing in the love of the Father. That's where he's going to go after. He's going to go after, does God really love you? You strip it all away, that's what he's going to go after. The core of, of Satan's attack on us will always be, is that really what God said? Is that really God's love for you? Because if God really loves us, then God knows what's best for us, and so Satan's going to say to us, does God really know what's best for us? Therefore, it says, does God really love you? Do we believe that God loves us this morning? Do we believe that God is our Father? Do we believe that God, is, through Jesus, is our protector? That he's our healer, he's our maker, he's our everything, he's our sustainer? You see, it goes back to, if we have a wonderful counselor, then he has a wonderful plan for us, because he loves us. Do we believe that this morning? I beg the question then. What's going on in your life right now that you need an everlasting loving Father? You see, because whatever's going on in your world right now, God knows. And God knows that he needs to offer you love and God knows that you need to accept his love, which will bleed into the very last thing that he talks about. That our king is the Prince of Peace. Our king is the prince of peace. The word peace there simply means shalom, that, that it means wholeness, it means together, it means unshattered, it means unbroken. You see, because in the garden when, they, when Adam and Eve, they sinned and rebelled against God the counselor and God the father and, and God the mighty God, they didn't believe that God was all things, that they didn't believe he was the peace of all things. And in that moment, their sin shattered the peace of God. And we, because of their sin, live in a shattered world. We entered this world shattered people. And God knew, because of the sin of our father and mother, Adam and Eve, that we needed a great prince of peace. Here's what Piper, John Piper has to say about this, about our peace with God. He says, the mo most basic need that we have is peace with God. You strip it all down, we need peace with God. More in his love for us, more in his greatness for us, more you feel in the right, we need, desperately need the peace of God. It is the foundation of all our pursuits of peace. If we do not go here first, all other experience of peace will be superficial and temporary. 
Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe what we need, the peace of God? We need the Prince of Peace. Do we believe that in our sin, we are broken before a holy God and we're separated from God and therefore God needed to send us a peace to reconcile us back to himself? That's the peace of God. That's our Prince of Peace. That Jesus took on the form of man to be our peace or what John says, the propitiation for our sins to ransom us back to have peace with God. You will only have peace with God through the work of Christ himself. The only way to have Christ himself is that he gave himself up for us in the form of a baby, lived for 33 years, sinless, for you and for I, who had all the sins, and on the cross, he took all those sins upon him so that we would have peace with God. Is that true for us this morning? Here's what Romans chapter 5 says that. Therefore, since we have been justified, this is for the believer this morning, by faith, we have what? We have peace with God. Because of our justification, we now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. John 14, 26 says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not the world gives to you, I give to you. Not your, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid because of the peace of God. You see, we live in a fallen, broken world. But even in this fallen, broken world, we can have the peace of God. How come? Because of the very first word of the description, the wonderfulness of God. Because God is sovereign in control of all things. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what's going on in your world this morning, it may seem so shattered this morning and so hopeless this morning, and you are so desperate this morning, you are in a great place. Because in your desperateness, you will cry out to a wonderful counselor. You will cry out to an everlasting father. You will cry out to the prince of peace. You will cry out to the mighty God because you will come to a place that says, I can't put this back together, therefore someone else must put this back together. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that God sent his son Jesus to be what? The the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. No matter what you're going through this morning. No matter where you're at this morning. And so it makes me beg the question. What's going on in your world right now? That you need the peace of God. That you need the Prince of Peace. You see, if you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus. You do not know a wonderful counselor. Oprah's the best you'll get. Sorry. If you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus this morning. You do not have a mighty God. You are the best God you have. If you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You do not have an everlasting Father. If you're here this morning and you do do not know Jesus, you do not have the peace of God. And if you do not have the peace of God, you will spend eternity away from him. I've said it here and I'll say it again. If you are not a believer here this morning, this is the best it gets for you. If you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, this is the worst it gets for you. And so for us, in closing, let me read this last quote. It's by a pastor here in Nashville. It says, let us look to Jesus as the wonderful counselor, 
He has the best ideas and the best strategies. Let us follow Him. As the mighty God, He defends His enemies. He defends us against his, the enemies easily. Let us hide behind Him. As the everlasting Father, He loves us endlessly. Let us welcome His dominion. Do we believe this morning that we have a wonderful counselor, that we have a mighty God, we have an everlasting Father, and we have a Prince of Peace? That's what we come to celebrate at Christmas. Let us close. God, I'm so grateful for you that you sent Jesus, the wonderful counselor, that you sent Jesus, the mighty God, that you sent Jesus, the everlasting Father, and that you sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And Jesus, you are way more than all those things. God, I have no idea, but you do. You know what's going on in the lives of all of your people, all of your children this morning. Whatever's troubling their hearts, God. God, I pray that we would surrender it to you. And that, Jesus, you would be our great counselor. You'd be the mighty God. Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Jesus, I pray there's someone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would not leave here without knowing the Prince of Peace. It's through your life, God, through Jesus that gives us hope and shines light in the dark places and gives us victory. Continue to lead us, God, as a church. God, let us be a people that will believe these words fully. And in believing these words fully, God, it would change us. It would transform us. And that therefore we take this hope, we take this light, and we take this victory, and we take your great Son to a lost and dying world. God, even now, as this week goes on and Christmas is coming, God, I pray that uh, we anticipate way more than the gifts that are on the tree, but we anticipate all the goodness uh, that you will do. God, we even now, we cry out for Thursday night here in this room. We pray that you would bring people that don't know you to celebrate uh, your birth. And in that celebration, God, that you would stir in the hearts of people and draw them to yourself, Lord Jesus, that this season, that this Christmas, the greatest gift that they'll ever receive will be your son Jesus. God, for us that have already received that gift, God, I pray that somehow in your mysterious ways you remind our hearts of that. We've already received the greatest gift, your son Jesus. Let us go in peace because of the Prince of Peace. pray this in your sweet name. Amen. As you leave this, e this morning, there will be cards in the back. Those are just invitation cards for our Christmas Eve service and an opportunity for us to take a, the, the hope of the gospel to lost people, to invite them into this place to hear the gospel on Christmas Eve.